Hello, everybody. I'm honored today to be accompanied by uh, a professor in Amsterdam. His name is Lorenz Spice, and um, it's it's for us. It's not necessarily spelled the way it sounds. Uh, he uh, will maybe introduce himself a little bit, but I I'm, my understanding he's a professor of social uh, studies or social science as well as gender um, issues, and and he's at the University of Amsterdam. So, Lorenz, can you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself? And what has been on your mind and on your uh, plate in universe uh, lately? Right. So my name is Laurens Buys, and I teach um, in the interdisciplinary social science department of the University of Amsterdam. And it's basically part of the Social Science Institute. So we have political science, anthropology, sociology, and I teach and also do research in these institutions. I've been doing that already for a long time. I really see myself as a child of the University of Amsterdam. Uh, I really stand also in the tradition of the University of Amsterdam and the social scientific tradition. And um, yeah, so basically recently I ha have been part of a, a huge controversy on our campus that also reads national and international news because I spoke out against woke culture and I also wrote an opinion article in the university newspaper uh, explaining how woke culture is, in my view, a direct threat to academic freedom and to the quality of education and, um, and to the quality of research. Yeah? So I've also expressed my concern. I've given some examples. And next to that, I also went to the official whistleblower procedure uh, which is a procedure covered by Dutch national law, which protects me as a whistleblower. I handed in a whistleblower report to the central board of the university, basically saying this is going totally wrong. We need to have action from a central level to prevent this whole institu institution from yeah, collapsing, at least in terms of academic freedom. And since universities love academic freedom, since at least in the United States, the tenure system, um, which sounds like 10 years, <laughs> uh, often people are there much longer. So, uh, you know, I have some experience with professors. I hang, hang out with some professors. Uh, oddly enough, though, the tenure system has not necessarily produced what it was intended for, which is freedom of expression. Mm. Supposedly, you should be uh, able to say what you want without repercussions or ramifications uh, for your career. But since mm -hmm. we all love, uh, you know, free speech, and we all understand that there's discourse is the nature of the university and the college. Frankly, it's the, the word college, it's, which means uh, to, to read together. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I'm being somewhat uh, sarcastic here. Uh, mm. how, how did things play out? Yeah, so basically, like what, what happened is uh, two years ago when uh, COVID, when the pandemic started, I became critical on the vaccination technology and also on the policy measures that were undertaken by the Dutch government. And I approached this from my discipline, science and technology studies. I'm an expert in the, especially in the thought of French philosopher Bruno Latour, who thought a lot about the social and political implications of technology. So I thought about this in my classes, and I also started to speak out from a Latourian perspective, critically on COVID, the policy measures and the vaccination technology. And that was the first time when I started to notice, okay, this is absolutely impossible to do because I got so much heat and so much personal attacks that this is a direct threat for my career, especially at the time I got a lot of critique from my colleagues, not so much from my students. My students actually liked it, mm -hmm. that I tried to open up the debate a little bit and to have some critical perspective on the measures. But from my institution, this did not pay, uh, play out well. So I also got an official warning from my manager um, and so that I was crossing the line, that I am now too much involved in science denial and that this is dangerous, that I speak out, that this is against the values of the university. And so I really got top-down disciplined to, to silence me, and I didn't like that at all. And I also felt that if I do not adhere and do not obey, then I get into trouble. So that was uh, not nice. And then also, I'm a researcher already for a long time on anti-gay violence 
on homophobic violence here in Amsterdam. And we see for a long time already an overrepresentation in my data of perpetrators of Dutch Moroccan boys. And this is a sensitive topic in Holland because this concerns the discussion about the multicultural society and the role of Islam in Holland. And I'm a left-wing person and I'm a progressive person and I've always spoken out against uh, Islamophobia in Holland. Yeah, So I also have also prevented that my data are abused for Islamophobic uh, politics. At the same time, I think my data also legitimize severe critique on Islam eh, and especially the homophobic tendencies in the Islamic, uh, the Muslim mm -hmm. community in Amsterdam. And that is very hard to address that part of the story yeah? because I often felt that my colleagues were basically accusing me of being too nationalistic, too much far right. Too much, uh, yeah, on the wrong side. Well, well, in fact, I think it's very important to to address these issues properly and freely. So there, I also noticed um, a lot of problems, and I'm setting up a research at this moment, also in a cooperation with the University of Berlin, and that is very hard to do because of the severe criticism and the severe backlash. Because I research because of the research question that I pose, which is. What is also the role of religion and Islam in, in the motives of the perpetrators of, of homophobic violence in Amsterdam? And then there's another issue, a third issue, and that is that I've been working for now for three years on the concept of androgyny. I am in, into gender and sexuality. And I think the concept of androgyny is very interesting. I've been researching it interdisciplinary from a biological, sociological, psychological perspective. And basically, from this research, I became more and more critical on a hype that is going on at this moment in Holland, which is the non-binary gender identity, that more and more of my students, but also young people throughout the country in secondary schools decide to distance themselves from what I call their primary gender identity. So from the core feeling, I'm a man or I'm a woman. This happens without consultations of professionals. This is facilitated by schools, by policies, by diversity policies. And I was concerned by that because I thought, I think it's um, not a scientifically properly researched uh, concept, non-binary. It lacks solid scientific foundation. To say the least. To say the least. I'm a, I'm a big uh, supporter of the trans community. And I think that the transgender community in itself has at this moment a lot of problems with the concept of gender dysphoria which there is a lot of debate about like so there's also people being diagnosed with gender dysphoria that later regret their transition so i think it's important now to look carefully how do we deal with people that are unhappy with their sex with the primary gender identity we should not facilitate it too quickly to have them transition or to take hormones but also take into account biological, neurological, psychological aspects. Basically, this has been my point. And I also got a lot of heat from that, especially for my students who started a petition against me, who accused me of homophobia, of transphobia, who have been demanding for, my, yeah, basically my departure and for apologies of the university. And here also I've seen that the university and my, my direct manager they choose sides for these students complaining because they say, oh, diversity policy, everybody should be feel protected here and should feel happy and should feel safe. And Laurens is threatening this safety. So they, my, my director even distanced distance herself from my work. And she doesn't even know my work. She's not an expert in gender and sexuality. She doesn't know my arguments, but only purely based on what I call a sort of a decency police, I am being cancelled. Yeah. And this is for me why it reached a lot of the news in Holland is that I myself am, I have been a big supporter of diversity policy. I am a left wing progressive person, I am an LGBTI activist. I am, I've been to the Black Lives Matter manifestations here in Amsterdam. I support all that, but for me, it goes too far. So I come from within the left and I drew the line. I say this is now also a threat for all of us.
And I think it's time now that also within the community and within the social science department and within the left, within the progressive left, we speak out against it because this is now a direct threat for academic freedom. So there's a lot to unpack there. I'm, I'm just going to yeah. um, maybe try to tease out one thread, which is uh, there's an old expression when when liberal pieties collide. Um, and I hope that translates for you. Um, it, it's it's the fact that you um, that there are oftentimes ideas on uh, on the progressive left and they may be inimical to each other. It's kind of like magnets. Um, magnets align in a certain way and when you hold them the, the wrong way, they, 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 they fly away. So in, in what you just recently uh, said, you were talking about uh, what I'm hearing is, is similar to the situation in England. Uh, there were there was um, kind of a Pakistani um, Muslim uh, grooming gang in Rotherham. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that. And it, the, the police kept it under wraps for long periods of time because they didn't want to state the obvious that that girls are being trapped and 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 set up to prostitution and not Pakistani girls. Uh, they were not going in-house, as it were. They weren't going in faith. They were uh, finding girls who were more available and so forth. Um, and so a lot of that was was hidden. So to get to the, the question I have is uh, on the left, there's all this, um, you know, say, freedom of, of choosing and, and identity and, and all this kind of sexual wash. Um, and, and at the same time, um, it, there's treating uh, Islam as a kind of a protected class. At, at some point, you know, it, it, I don't think it's a, a mystery that, that within um, kind of essential Islam that all these gender theories uh, are, say, you know, hyper anathema. And, and, you know, in places like Iran, Saudi, uh, whatnot, are punishable by death um, or worse, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, torture and then death. Um, and, and, you know, where does, does any of this come up? Does, does the kind of the uh, essential uh, fracture, the internal fracture, like you drop an ice cube and it's broken inside, does any of this come out that there's some of, some of this irony that at the one side that, that, you know, everyone's kind of protecting Islam at the other side, they're doing theories and so forth that are, that are inimical to. And I'm yeah. wondering whether that, you know, kind of makes what we call strange bedfellows yeah. uh, politically. Have you found, you know, kind of different alignments uh, based on your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. So I see in many ways, this is also one of my, my major points that I made in my critique against Vogue. I think it's in many ways a very paradoxical ideology. So when it comes to gender, it claims to strive for a society beyond men and women and beyond all the prejudices, but it really focuses a lot on the distinction between men and women and pronouns, and it also almost becomes an obsession. And I also see the same with, for example, in Holland, I come from a tradition, I come from a left-wing atheist secular tradition, also my family is from that tradition, we have learned, I've learned from a very young age, that critique on religion is the most progressive thing you can do, a critique against organized, institutionalized religion. So, and I always saw on television brave people breaking down and attacking institutionalized religion. So when I now try to do the same, I think that it is important to do that against Christianity, but also absolutely against Islam, because I think it's important to have that critique. Then you're very quickly by the same left accused of Islamophobia. So something has happened there that this sort of focus on decency within the progressive left has has ironically paradoxically alienated the left from its own positions, from its own background. Yeah, I see that very clearly here in Holland. Do you, do, you see, uh, do you see all of this coming out well? I mean, we've had COVID. Uh, we have some of the themes you're talking about, uh, these kind of gender uh, issues, confusion, and so forth. And then there's kind of um, a threat of Islam. Um, and, and potentially a threat of Islam. Um, my understanding is that the most common uh, first name for boys in the uh, European continent is Muhammad, uh, mm-hmm. country by country, mm-hmm. uh, certainly in, um, you know, say, Western Europe, so forth. Yeah. Is that the case in, in the Netherlands? And how does this all play out? What, what is, 
what, what do you, I don't know if you have any insight to uh, how this is looked upon um, in Islamic uh, communities. Um, do, are, are people assimilating uh, to kind of the predominant Dutch culture? Are they maintaining um, uh, their own culture or is it a combination? How, how do you see all this playing out? And is, is this, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, kind of, as they um, work on the, the atomic bomb, is this kind of a, a kind of a, a, you know, a proton uh, collider? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it is a, a big problem here in Holland, this integration of the uh, Muslim community. Uh, there is Muslims in Holland from a range of different countries. There's a big uh, Moroccan and Turkish community. There's also now, of course, uh, Afghan and Syrian and other uh, Middle Eastern countries. And we have had very severe societal uh, problems with this eh? and also very intense debates. And what we see time and time happening is that basically the ones that dare to speak out really with force and bravery against the problems that we see with Islam in Holland are people from the populist right, yeah, from the new right, new right-wing movements. And so what we see time and time again is that sort of the liberal, often left-wing progressive establishment um, doesn't really dare to speak out like that. Yeah, and then accuses the other party of Islamophobia. So we really see this polarized position where it's very difficult to have uh, uh, attention for these problems in Dutch society with the integration of Islam without being accused of, um, of being far right. Huh? And this, this, this often escalates. And of course, there is also in Holland, this is also then I'm worried about, there is also Islamophobia especially since 9-11, there's very quickly this association between Muslims and terrorists, and there can be very yeah, harsh judgment back and forth. Yeah, So there is a problem there. But what's interesting about the Dutch situation is that we have had a lot of attention on, uh, well, basically 9-11 made a lot of Dutch people think about what are our cultural values, what is the core of Dutch society that we also need to protect in this globalized world, and basically, we have had some politicians who have done some interesting work on that, and also historians. And what is very qu- quickly seen in Holland as sort of the crown jewels of Dutch culture is progressive values when it mm. comes to sexuality and gender also. And we have had a very intense sexual revolution in Holland in the 1960s and 70s. It had a severe impact not only on the cities and the urban centers of Holland, but it also waved, made big waves uh, to the people in the countryside. So this really transformed the Netherlands. There's this tradition of tolerance, of openness, of democracy, of free speech. And so in the discussions about what is now the core of Dutch culture, sexuality and openness, acceptance of homosexuality is very often um, mentioned. I'm going to cut you off for a second. I apologize. But you're you're making some ideas swirl in my head, and yeah. I just I just want to sure, release, sure. Really, release some of them. Uh, it seems that that you know first of all, as, as a total side note, uh, the word phobia or the the suffix phobia I think is always a misapplication because mm. that's fear of, and I don't think these things are necessarily fear of homophobia, transphobia, Islamophobia. Mm. I think there's there's some realm of of, of reasonable discussion, and conversely, um, I think there's the fair amount of of freedom phobia, if we're going to use that same term, against or Lawrence phobia uh, or vice phobia, um, uh, that's, you know, all uh, inimical to the whole tolerance project. It seems to me that tolerance and a lot of these things are are Potemkin villages. They are facades um, Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, announce something. And and then they they put all kinds of fences and and, and, and just the way we were herded uh, during COVID, you know, (laughs) we had arrows in the supermarket. We had um, places you couldn't go. We had screens. There was all kinds of, of, of delineation within uh, our literal pathways. But it mm-hmm. seems as if there's uh, the same thing happening in philosophical and colloquial pathways uh, within colleges and universities and, and public square um, with with certain, you know, kind of say to, to mix uh, religion here, you know, Hinduist uh, sacred cows, there's certain things you can't touch, certain places you can't go. Yeah. And they seem to be um, kind of forcing uh, people down a certain pathway, which I, I think is, is a reasonable um, thing to question. I'll, I'll just layer one thing in. 
um, uh, that you know the 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 far right uh, connotes something different in the United States, I think, versus uh, the European continent. Um, here, you know, to be an American is more of a concept. Uh, we've always allowed people from all different places to be American if they were interested in adopting, you know, some of the the, the premises and precepts and principles of what it is at any given time to be American. Usually, a matter of freedom, uh, you know, responsibility, making your own way, and so forth. Whereas you know the the far right in Europe, from my understanding, has much to do much more to do with soil, uh, heredity, um, and, and and ethnicity. And so to be Dutch is to be Dutch, to be um, Polish to be Polish. And and so the, the far right has a much longer uh, kind of ethno uh, cultural history. Yeah. Um, and it seems as if partially partially people are are abandoning that as far as uh, the Netherlands and the Dutch go because you know there's the Dutch. Uh, um, uh, West Indies, there's Dutch East Indies. Uh, there were all kinds of, um, uh, you know, colonial aspects of the of the Netherlands, and there's you know, kind of a, a huge wealth, literal and figurative wealth, that was brought to the Netherlands over time. And it yeah. seems to me that to 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 distill that down into, um, you know, we we just you know want to do you know funky stuff uh, sexually, uh, I think is 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 reductionist. Yeah. Um, and and I iterate. So that uh, t- just to unpack that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, where do you see kind of freedom as as part of this? And are are there ways in which freedom is is part of say your cultural Dutch cultural heritage, mm-hmm. or what I was trying to say, your Dutch cultural? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so so where does that leave you? Does, does that leave you on the far left? Does it put you on the far right? Are you in the far middle? Is there such a so, thing? So what I re- I have come uh, to realize is that. For if when it comes to my activism, I've always been very strongly against the far right in Holland. And the past couple of years, I've started to appreciate it more. I also think the the concept of the far right is problematic. I now call it the new right. And, and there is oh, I'm still left wing, and that won't change. But I have started to appreciate uh, with with my own naivety disappearing about the direct threat of freedom that we have in Holland from all sides. It's not only from Islam, it's from many sides, also from within, yeah? But there is definitely also this Islam part, and I think, well, they at least have been fighting. But what my view is, like, I am a strong supporter of the multicultural society. What my objection is with the, with the new right is that they often idealize Holland when it used to be before multiculturalism, the white society, and I as a gay man know as no other that also diversity and space for differences has benefited me hugely. Yeah, and also that the, the multicultural society has many enriching parts of that society. But what, what I think is the problem of the left in Holland is that we are not uh, strict enough on what we demand, for example, from immigrants. And I think we can learn that from the right. So I am not like the right often says, Holland is Holland. Islam doesn't fit here, they should leave. And I am not like that. I think Islam can be, in many aspects, a beautiful religion and a beautiful addition to Dutch culture and society, welcome. But, and then really be strict, like you are here in the Netherlands, these are our norms and values. There is a certain uh, threshold where you have to, that you have to integrate, that you have to uh, accept. So this, this is a little bit the French model in a sense. Yeah, but I'm not sure it's all working out as a model. No. Um, cer- certainly, the pathways uh, don't work backwards. Um, you know, my friends, we, if things are going well and it's not uh, a lockdown, uh, they always think about where they're going to travel next. Uh, we want to go to Italy. We want to go to uh, Thailand. We want to. They never mention, you know, Iran. They never mention, uh, you know, Yemen. They never mention uh, Sudan. They never mention uh, Somalia and so forth. You know, a lot of the places um, that from which people are coming uh, to Europe are uh, particular societies and some of them have you know various increased degrees of of say um, religious control and or repression you know read it as you will um, and so I'm not sure it necessarily is doing a service to those immigrants per se if if um, if people withdraw from from a reasonable criticism, of what is allowable in that particular country. You know, right. if somebody goes a, a, a lateral transit, you know, say from Somalia, you, you, you know, I mean, Somalia's three, it's not necessarily a full operated country, or maybe it's three of them or five of them, whatever, but 
you know, if, if somebody makes a lateral transfer from uh, Saudi Arabia to uh, Yemen, um, and again, that's who knows what Yemen is, but leaving those things aside, uh, that's one thing. So you, you, you've gone from, say, you know, Islamic Republic to Islamic Republic. But if you go from Islamic Republic to Germany, um, England, France, whatever, uh, presumably you are moving to those places with those, you know, cultures in, in, implicit and intact. And part of the reason you went there is that things have worked out economically and, and in terms of, of personal, you know, comforts and so forth and liberties um, and freedom to do what you want and act religiously or not. Yeah. And it seems, you know, inimical and, and in a sense a disservice to the immigrants per se, if you abandon those principles from which they um, were were uh, operating mm -hmm. on their arrival, um, so so the, the, here's the question. So I apologize for the intro, but uh, the, the question I would have is: Are there are there in, 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 have you noticed voices within, say, you know, from Dutch Islam uh, that are in agreement with you, and are people uh, you know cutting the same kind of inquiry? And um, you know, self insight or critical process or whatever um, to some of the the apparatuses which brought them there, and whether you know with, whether and whither they want uh, the Netherlands to go, and or these other countries, and whether they are comfortable with a lot of these uh, transpositions, no pun intended, hmm. of of uh, sex sexuality and, and gender issues. Yeah. So it's difficult. Eh? It's hard to to find support there, but it is there. So I've also, I sometimes uh, visit mosques and I try to involve myself where, wherever I can in the Amsterdam Muslim community. And one thing that I notice is that what a lot of these Muslims realize is that from the Dutch government, as it is now institutionalized and the, and the, and the mainstream power structures in, in Dutch society, they will never be really their friends. And they start to realize now more and more that even if these politicians speak out for them, it is more in an instrumental way and not from a genuine concern with the multicultural society or their well-being. And so basically what I see is that there is this idea among some Dutch Muslims here in Amsterdam okay so maybe we will have to form a new alliance with other minorities and groups that don't fit in society that are unhappy with the government structures and then even if there is weird gay people or feminist women there yeah maybe these are better allies for us than the mainstream power structures. so this is an I, this is something that i find myself that opens sometimes opportunities for new alliances yeah okay let's they also know that they need new allies they need new co coalitions and from that there isn't there's an opportunity but that opportunity really needs to be taken very seriously and can be very easily um yeah sort of wasted if they feel that for example eh, they in my view they very quickly feel when you don't set your own interests when you're when you're a weak negotiator they feel it and they abuse it and i think mm -hmm. it's rightly so so there again i see we from the left have to really learn how to if we want to build coalitions with them how to be very strict on the things that we value and to have very serious talks with, with muslim communities in holland for example, I research homophobic violence in Amsterdam. I see time and time again these Moroccan boys being a, a, one of the major uh, groups in my perpetrator. So are, are they? Are these Moroccan boys on the far right? No, as, as the left would call it. Yeah, there you go. That's that's an interesting question. But so what I see is that these boys, they are often. Um, uh, they, there is similarities between me and my political movement with them. Uh, they are dissatisfied with Dutch society. They don't think that people take them seriously. They are critical on Western imperialism and on the role of the West in the Middle East. I, that all fits my left-wing agenda. But where it stops is I am against hatred of the West. And this is something that I often I see a little bit too much. They, there's also hatred towards the West hatred towards the freedom of, uh, for women, hatred towards the freedom for homosexuality in Holland. And then I think, yeah, this is not negotiable. And so here we have to draw a very clear line. And yes, we can form a coalition, but you have to drop these radical ideas, yeah? 
And here I see often the left saying, yeah, but they come where they come from. We should be compassionate for that and slowly talk about it and allow it a little bit. And then I think, yeah, that space, they abuse it to stay the way they are. Right. So so just numerically, I mean, you know, we, we live in a moment. Uh, I have had been un unable to make time go backwards. I can't make it go forward any faster than it seems to be doing. If, in fact, uh, you know, time is its own concept. <laughs> I don't know if it's the fourth dimension or what, but, you know, so if we were fast forward, um, you know, and let's say, you know, the Netherlands is a, a you know, Islam majority country. Um, has anyone figured out what would be the rights? Let, let's just, I mean, it would, it would change and, and there are many, many variables and so forth. But if we took, say, some of the um, precepts that you might find in, say, Turkey um, and applied them to the Netherlands, would overall the new minority of previously, you know, ancestrally Dutch uh, be happy with that? Do they anticipate that? Do the people not on the quote unquote far right, which I always find, you know, you know what, people don't really say far, you know, extreme left, extreme, you know, far left. But, you know, so I think the right somewhat gets, you know, labeled. But, but you know, you can't necessarily bring up these ideas, you know. So does is multiculturalism in a sense uh, it's its own causation and its own termination. I don't know. I don't really understand your question. Well, it, 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 okay. So the question is: We fast forward, and we're in a majority yeah. uh, Islamic Netherlands. Will yeah. will you know these these issues of tolerance? If we took, say, the essence of, uh, say, Turkish, you know, the the Turkish, um, um, you know, Erdogan, if he yeah. he if one of his congeners were the new leader of the Netherlands and then yeah. let's say it's parliamentary and then their yeah. new edicts and no, new laws yeah. I'm just assuming that we wouldn't have this kind of uh, uh, you know open uh, sexuality uh, tolerance mm -hmm. and and so multicultural multi it wouldn't necessarily have the same theme of of, of uh, kumbaya you know nicey nicey um, uh, multiculturalism right. and it would, would right. it would bring about its own end so is, yeah. is multiculturalism uh, self-terminating, I guess, is the question. And right. people anticipate that. Absolutely. And is that a, a reasonable point of departure to, to question? I see what you mean. So, so first of all, I think it's important to realize that it's not a realistic scenario in Holland that the Muslim minority takes over or becomes the bigger than the white majority. What we do, yeah, so what we do see is that overall we have, especially in the cities, I think of the of the Dutch when it comes to youth uh, under 25. I think 40% of the Dutch youth is is white. It's still the biggest group, but it's not the majority anymore. And the other 60% is people from all. There's over 120 nationalities in Amsterdam. It's extremely diverse. And then the, the biggest groups are Surinamese and Antillian and Dutch uh, and and Dutch Moroccan, Dutch Turkish. So there's yeah, but there's a vast uh, uh, portions of other groups. But I mm -hmm. think what important is, is that even if there is minority groups, this is something that I've also learned from Woke, because the, the Woke fanatics at the University of Amsterdam, it's a small group. It's not a minority, but mm -hmm. it takes a small group. Yeah? Fanatics can take in small groups, they can take over the house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think it very there is a very... Uh, uh, um, concrete risk that the whole concept of multiculturalism uh, can sell itself implode basically it can implode mm -hmm. itself eh? so by opening up there's often this uh, accusation of holland mm -hmm. from the right saying you are so obsessed with being tolerant that you're now so too tolerant because you get in people who hate you and you allow them and you accept them and they don't accept you uh -huh. yeah there's there's an old uh, joke that uh, certain people typically on the left have such an open mind that their mind is so open that some of their brains have fallen out. <laughs> this is absolutely true. Yeah. And I also come from that. Yeah? So there is, there is a huge trap from the progressive left that we have this dreamy vision of a multicultural society that somehow magically by itself, all these differences integrate into a fantastic salad, a meal right. that combines everything beautifully. Right. It's it very nice. Melting pot and now it turned into a salad. So I, I was listening to this short little clip. I think it was Christine Amanpour, who's uh, on CNN. And yeah. Yeah. I think she's from Iran originally. And she was interviewing uh, 
one of the, I'm not sure what level in the government, uh, Hungarian uh, leader. And um, he was, she was saying, you know, your, your country is, you know, uh, is allowing, you know, Christians to come in, but not other faiths. Are, are, aren't you breaking with multiculturalism? And he said, well, I mean, I, I'm going to just distill what he said, not, not specifically, but, you know, this is our culture. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, in order to respect multiculturalism, why don't you respect ours? And certainly, you know, th 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 it's always shallow to me that that the, the, the these culture wars take place on open turf. Uh, nobody is really demonstrating for women's rights uh, and freedoms. I mean, the, the true feminists are not, you know, stampeding every day um, or demonstrating in front of, you know, the Iran consulate uh, or embassy or Saudi or that, you know, organizing marches in those places. And similarly, um, you know, so, so, you know, and then they're not saying, oh, Somalia has to be a place where, where Dutch can live. I mean, I'm not sure they, they, they want to go there, no. um, but, but it's always seems to be a, a one way thing. Like, you yeah. know, what's your, what's, what's, what's mine is mine. What's yours is mine. Yeah. And, and um, you know, Islam typically, you know, traveled um, by, by the sword or the scimitar. And, you know, there, there have been, you know, mass, um, uh, uh, conversions over time. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the Netherlands had a long experience in Indonesia. I'm not sure how uh, much of, uh, uh, you know, up, uh, you're, you are on the history of Islam, you know, moving into Indonesia, but, you know, these things come, you know, things to come little by little, but then all at once. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering, um, I don't know, that that's not really a question. I don't know if you want to talk to any of those topics I mentioned. <laughs> I think it's, uh, you, you mentioned a lot of interesting things. So for me, it is basically, uh, we should have a wake-up call, especially, this is all, every time my point towards the left, especially when you are interested in these left-wing values of having space for minorities, a multicultural society, where also there's space for Dutch tolerance, especially if your concern is there, then it's now time to lose naivety yeah? and to so really... lose your naivete. Yes, and to understand that this is something under pressure and we need to fight for it. And it's really, we should not be naive about the intentions of other people. And we should also, I think it's important to realize that it's not a bad thing to say eh, we are a nation state with some form of nationalism and some form of pride and we demand from people that come here that they eh, this is our house. And you, you are welcome here, but under our terms. You should not be too shy to take that position because now when you do, when I say these kinds of things in left-wing progressive circles, then you're so often accused of being, oh, you're so nationalist, you're so authoritarian, this is not the right energy. Yeah? So this naivety is just too big. Yeah? And I think we need to address that and be brave. Be brave, especially when you're concerned with multicultural society. This is now the moment to stand up and to say, yes, right. let's try to have it, but right. under our conditions. Right. So, so again, this is kind of like this, um, uh, you know, almost like a no theater um, or those puppets uh, getting back to Indonesia, you know, kind of puppet theater. Um, those who, who might say what you're saying, but, but from Islam um, are, well, from either side. I mean, there's the Charlie Hebdo, uh, situation in, in Paris, um, you know, where they had a Muslim, you know, uh, Muhammad cartoon um, uh, contest, and and they, I think, suffered through multiple different attacks, and I think, you know, varying success, and there were murders mm -hmm. as a result. And then, you know, we're all familiar with Salman Rushdie, uh, you know, his uh, Satanic Verses book, and so forth. And then, you know, eventually, I mean, he was he was living clandestinely for decades. Um, yes. it's, it's hard. There are stakes. I mean, this, this is not just a culture war. It's a culture war. And um, I'm not sure necessarily everybody's engaged or understanding about it. You know, I have uh, many friends who, you know, have are from say, uh, Morocco and Pakistan and um, and and they're here in the United States. And I don't think they want Pakistan to be the United States. I don't think they are the United States to be Pakistan or the United States to be um, any of the places they left. And, and I think I would imagine there's some similarity. I'm not sure, you know, there's chain migration. It's hard to, you know, attribute, you know, motives to, you know, people who come over when they're five years old and whatnot. 
But a lot of people, I assume, are economic migrants. They're voting with their wallets. They're voting with their feet. They're leaving turmoil. They're leaving wars. Uh, they're leaving instability. And, uh, you know, the question is whether the seeds of new instability are being sown right now. Um, you know, th there's there's the question of, of tolerance. And then there's uh, I think there's some limitations about how tolerant people can be. You know, when you're getting to some of the gender things, uh, when, you know, in the United States right now, there are clandestine, there's quiet, um, say, conversions in the sense of, of young people, you know, being able to have their their converse uh, gender name. So if I come in as, as George to school, the teachers, you know, might have sussed out that I want to be Georgina and they're going to have a, a new name for me or Georgette, whatever. And there's, there's, there's in a sense, grooming, uh, not in the same prostitution sense, but there's a sense grooming going on. And, and I'm using that term very loosely um, of, of people's minds. And so the culture war is happening with our own children. And, you know, we care about our community. We care about our country. We care, but, but children is what we care about most. That is, you know, our essence. Those are, you know, individuals that, you know, we, who, who literally suckled uh, uh, from our bodies and came out of our bodies and from our bodies and, and, and are part of us. And, and to have them, you know, threatened before they could, you know, say legally get a tattoo uh, or legally, uh, you know, buy a vacuum cleaner or whatever, or have a credit card, but, but somehow be on a pathway either physically or, or, or uh, essentially philosophically to be, you know, self mutilating and, or, you know, making uh, irreversible decisions at young ages. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, the tolerance, you know, there's an old expression, uh, you know, that, that your right to wave your, your hands ends at my nose. And so, you know, it seems to me as if there's a, you know, a fair amount of freedom going on, but these freedoms, you know, they, they're not all uh, mutually capable. Right. So, so w when it comes to this whole, well, yeah, my, my response would be that I have seen that, uh, that I have started to realize that a lot of these uh, processes that you describe, we also have here in our schools, eh? so that we facilitate all sorts of, and again, I'm a pro-LGBTI, I'm an ally, yeah, but we facilitate all sorts of very radical and over-the-top um, acceptance and even promotion of eh? letting go of your gender identity to become non-binary, to become trans, queer, gender fluid at a very young age. And what always strikes me when I see it, I think it's important to realize that this mechanism is that it works through virtues. So these people that propagate the system genuinely think that they are good people who are progressive, who are opening space for people with different backgrounds and different and gender diversity. And, and so there is this, it, this is I think in general very important about the current zeitgeist and about the current authoritarian power grab that is going on throughout the world. It dresses up in good virtues. And we have seen it uh, in COVID, all the measures presented itself, themselves as we protect the elderly and we are uh, the solidarity with the vulnerable. And now we see with this whole gender power grab that now even involves vulnerable children and we are reckless in doing so, uh, but it presents itself as, oh, we are opening up space for gender diversity and gender fluidity. Yeah? So, and these people genuinely believe that they are doing good work. So uh, my, my point is there is a lot of ego going on. Uh, apparently in a lot of these woke ideologies, it, I also see it as a sort of a mind virus that goes around in universities, but it spreads outside into Dutch society. And these, there is this virtue calling that we are good people, progressive people doing it. And people are basically uh, yeah, worshipping their own ego because look at me being so free and so open and so tolerant. So I think it's very important to stop all this, that we come to an awareness of that. And I'm also very much interested into Jungian psychology. And I think what is now so necessary is what he calls shadow work, that we start to understand, we look into the mirror and start to understand that a lot of our well-intended behavior and ideologies are in fact evil and we have to recognize it yeah because when we start to be, when we keep on believing in this myth that we are good people progressive people i think the, the, this is now where the totalitarian risk com, comes from it's not from an overt 
criminal guy like Hitler or Stalin, who is very well. They, they were pretty good at it. I mean, to be fair, they were good at it themselves. But but I I I think that there are you know people tend to think that it's all outside. It's only these kind of um, you know historical figures that do that stuff. They, I don't yeah. think they understand the essence of fascism. Wow. Yes, that it comes that it's part of yourself, that it's part of yourself. And this is also what uh, what I've been, why I got so much heat from the university. I tried to give this mirror to my colleagues and also to my students. Like, look at yourself in the mirror. How far away is fascism? You're, they are so quick to point to the far right and to Russia and to other countries that are wrong. Uh, and but they don't recognize it within themselves, and I think we have to start to see a little bit of the sports of that also, uh, to make it a little bit fun, and to remove the taboo. Oh, listen, how can I discover my own little fascist within me? Mm -hmm. I try to do these exercises with my students. If you present it well, as an opportunity for personal growth and for more understanding of your own persona and to give more depth to your life then students are willing to do it. Young people are willing to do it, but nobody offers it to them. Yeah? So we have to put mirrors in front of this seemingly progressive right. good mensch ideology. Yeah? Right. So uh, I heard recently that uh, COVID was a, uh, a worldwide Milgram experiment. Are you familiar with the Milgram experiment? Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah. It's a sidelight. But the, the thing, the point I, the, I, that I, uh, my ears kind of perked up when you talk about evil, uh, you mentioned you're an atheist. Um, what is evil? I used to be. I'm not anymore. I used to. Be. I was brought up like that. Yeah. Okay. So that that was a point of clarification. So maybe yeah. uh, I, I'd like to kind of round out the hour uh, with you telling us a little bit about your journey, uh, where you've been, uh, where you stand now in terms of academic freedom. Um, have you found acolytes, um, you know, apostles to your interests? And where does this all take us? So basically what I'm very happy with is that I broke out with a lot of force outside out of the academic institution. I, I published an opinion piece. I went into the Dutch national press. I got a lot of heat. People tried to scapegoat me also from within the university. People tried to, eh, that's always what people do when somebody has an uncomfortable message. Mm -hmm. They tried to disqualify the person. So people tried to disqualify me as that I got insane that I lost my mind, that my mental health is broken, that I'm overestimated, that I'm attacking a vulnerable left-wing uh, institution in, in the right-wing Holland, and that I am basically, yeah, having an evil pact with the far right to destroy a, a, a temple of diversity. So all these weird attacks have been going on to my person. It was a very difficult two weeks that I had the past two weeks. At the same time, what I did see happen is that also some high, people high up in the institution of the UFA, not so much publicly, but privately stood up, went to the board, reached out to the university saying, listen, he is not a lunatic. We want him to be taken seriously. And as a result, the university, the board of the university has now hired an independent research committee of three high ranking professors in Holland coming from different universities. So it's an external committee. And they've gotten quite some power now to do research. They will, they will publish their research in June and they will research my claims. So is woke culture now in the University of Amsterdam in the social science department threatening academic freedom and the quality of education and research? If they confirm my, my, my concerns, that means that it becomes harder and harder to put it all on me as a person eh, and to blame me as a person and to scapegoat me, then mm -hmm. suddenly it will be a committee that confirms my concerns. And then I think the university will be forced to do something against it. This is my hope that now I force, it was not easy, but in this whistleblower procedure, I can really recommend it if there's a similar procedure in other people's countries, at least in Holland as a whistleblower, you have some legal protection. They cannot just fire you and get rid of you. And they actually have to act on the concerns that you bring forward. I also needed some media attention. So that really helps for the university to really protect me as a whistleblower. Mm -hmm. But I found it an interesting journey. And I hope that, um, yeah, that this path of being a whistleblower and trying to stop uh, the collapse of our academic freedom uh, will pay out. Well, that's awesome. Um, I uh, 
Um, I, I'm really uh, very impressed. I, I um, just wanted to uh, thank you for your time today. Uh, if people want to contact you or um, help you in any way, how, how can they do that? So they can reach out to me. I have a website. There's also some English uh, language uh, text on there about what's going on. My mm -hmm. website is laurensbuis.org. Mm -hmm. L-A-U-R-E-N-S is my first name. And my last name is B-U-I-J-S. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, that together is my website. And um, so people, if if you recognize some of my concerns, if you have similar struggles in your own institutions, please re reach out. I've been in touch with colleagues from throughout the Netherlands and also in, in international institutions. And I think we really have to combine forces to protect our universities from the falling free world. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me just see if I can pop this up here. Um, so that yes. that's your web page there, and I I've, I'm very much in your debt um, for having come on. Um, I you know probably we could go another hour. Uh, no um, I I like to I, I pop this up very briefly, but uh, this is my shameless uh, self promotion here. Um, I have a book out, uh, Overturning Zika: The Pandemic Excellent. That Never Was. It's being published in Brazil uh, in the next couple of weeks. There's a Portuguese version. It's on Amazon. Uh, you can, not you, <laughs> other people uh, can buy it. Um, and, um, you know, it's, I, I don't think it necessarily has much much intersection per se with what we've uh, discussed here today, except for the fact that within academic circles, uh, there is a, kind of a, a closed loop. Uh, once money is there for the Zika industry, uh, nobody seems to ever want to talk about the, un, you know, weak underpinnings of the theory, the fact that it never recurred after 2015 in right. Brazil. If in fact, it was there in 2015 Brazil at all. And so what I always thought of as science uh, is a lot of times, um, you know, kind of like a, a monastery or a religion or a sect. And I think that we um, uh, see a, a fair amount of this across the board, that these institutions that we thought were, you know, purely um, into inquiry and, and following where those thoughts are, are not necessarily that case. And, you know, I think I, I think a lot of people actually probably have a different view towards religion. This is a whole nother day and topic as, you know, perhaps the, the, the way, you know, when we are freed by God to think our thoughts, we don't necessarily worry about the opinions of man as much. Um, anyway, so I, I don't want to, you know, go all deep and proselytizing here, but, you know, that's a, a thought that I think people, um, uh, you know, I think, you know, the, I remember Eric Bonhoeffer, um, uh, are you familiar with the story of Bonhoeffer? So he was a, a minister in Germany uh, during the war, and he uh, he has some qualities. You know, I think you should read. There's a book by Eric Metaxas um, uh, called Bonhoeffer, mm -hmm. and uh, it's, I think it's a book that you might enjoy um, because it's a man um, who, who who has his convictions, and then he has his convictions. <laughs> uh, you know, in the other sense of the word, he has his own personal convictions, then, then the government convicts him. And mm. uh, he's a martyr, he dies. Um, but, you know, he, he needed to expose uh, some of the literal, uh, you know, fascist, totalitarian, uh, cruel, evil, uh, uh, genocidal aspects of, of Nazi Germany. Mm. Um, but, it, you know, it, the, the miracle is uh, that, that, you know, in, in, in man's soul, uh, there, there is this, you know, essence of truth. And there is kind of an essence of, of where we need to be and how we measure ourselves. And so I think that's the real message of, of uh, the Lawrence Weiss uh, story. And I hope people uh, come to read your uh, work and uh, promote you and have you speak and so forth. So uh, anyway, I um, am very much uh, honored to have been here with you. I've, I've learned a lot and I wish you um, all the, the power and strength that, that you need to carry forth. Thank you so much, Randall, also for inviting me to your great platform. Thank you so much. All right. So you can hang around. We'll chat for a second, but we're going to say goodbye to everybody else. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.